I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. This week we're doing 10 questions with someone in recovery and that person this week is going to be Joshua, Josh, Lean. Uh, He is a a transplant here in Springfield from Arizona. I guess I'll let him tell a little bit about himself. Introduce yourself to everybody, Josh. Hello, everyone. Uh, Like David said, I'm Joshua Lean and I sort of am a transplant. I I mean, I grew up here um, outside of uh, Mount Vernon, but I moved to Phoenix uh, as a teenager and um, I lived there for about 20 years. So um, sort of a transplant, sort of not. Right. Before you were, you weren't. Something like that. I don't know. I, I was before I was. was yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, what we do here is uh, ten questions. What we did was we sat down whenever we were first starting this podcast and, mm-hmm. and reached out to people and said, "Hey, if you could talk to somebody in recovery, what are ten questions that you would want them to answer?" And we got those ten questions from them, and then we had everybody vote on which were their favorites, and we kind of picked from there and. We'll probably do some sculpting one day because uh, I think two of them are almost the same thing back to back. So, but as it is, we go through it and we get you to talk a little bit about your uh, substance use, how it started, and then uh, recovery, what it means to you, and some of the things that have changed in your recovery. Sound good? Uh, sounds awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay, so why did you start using to begin with, Josh? Man, that's a great question. Um, it's funny. I- Thinking that was going to be the first question you asked, and it was. So I was, um, I was a young teen, thirteen-ish, fourteen, and um, I remember specifically being in the hallway of my in my junior high at that time and asking, uh, actually, actually my cousin, I said, um, you know, I think that um, I think I want to do drugs, and I can't remember why I said that. It's such a weird thing, and it's such a weird thing that is that is something that's burned in my mind. And it was shortly after that that with one of my family members. Um, I drank my first beer, smoked my first joint, and it was just kind of, um, I just kind of kept chasing that, you know, for years and years and years. So that's, that's where it started. Like, I still remember that first beer, that first joint. So I, I love time travel. So now we're going to jump from when you first started all the way to, to probably more towards the end. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to stop using? Wow. So <clears throat> October 10th, 2014, I found myself... Um, on an airplane, I was flying from Phoenix, Arizona, to Atlanta, Georgia, from Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia to Springfield, Missouri, and it was um, on my um, flight from Phoenix to Atlanta that I um, that I lost my mind. You know, I had um, I had been doing crystal meth and heroin, and I, you know, whatever I could get my hands on for a long time. But um, and I and I dealt with the paranoia, and I dealt with the shadow people and all that crazy stuff that comes with the drug use and um was something different happened on that airplane to me and um I literally lost my mind on that airplane and then when I got to the airport I um I, I just I overdosed and I, my brain just fried and I remember um sitting in uh in that terminal and um 
I had missed my connecting flight by about two hours. I just walked around the airport, didn't know what I was doing. And um, sitting in that, in, that, in that terminal, and and I had this thought come into my head, this, and it said, you're dead. And I thought, I'm dead. And um, it was in that moment that I felt, I felt this massive amount of wickedness and evil, and like, I felt my soul being dragged away towards eternal destination, and it was the most hopeless, most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I, and I started crying and crying and crying, and, I, and somewhere in the midst of that crying, I realized that I was crying, and if, if I was crying, I was breathing, if I was breathing, I wasn't dead. And uh, I just did the only thing I could think of, and I just started asking God to forgive me over and over again, saying, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. And in that moment, all that wickedness, all that evil, all that vile was washed away with this tidal wave of mercy and grace and hope and love. And in that moment, like, you know, you talk about once I was blind, now I can see. And in that moment, I was able to see. God saved my life. And in, in, in that moment, he changed the very being, the very DNA of who I am. And also, as soon as that moment was over, the crazy closed back in. And um, uh, I woke up in the hospital, you know, strapped to that hospital bed out of my mind, um, not really knowing who I was or where I was or what was going on. But uh, it was in that moment, in that terminal seat, that God saved my life. Wow, that got deep really quick. Man. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a, a what? what? Okay. <laughs> so, what does recovery mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, recovery means to me so much more than uh, than being sober. Uh, so much more than um, and then make it then making it to the next day. In my mind, recovery is is a second shot at life. To not only be sober. Not only make it to the next day, but create a life that matters, you know, to fulfill a purpose, to have a mission, you know, <laughs> and, and little things that's, that a lot of us take for granted, like having a driver's license or being off paper and not having to have permission to travel, you know, um, having a house, you know, being a functioning member of society. You know, I like to say this all the time in some of the classes and teachings I do is like, I get to be an adult again, right? And I, I think that's what recovery means. So... What were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? Um, it was that moment. It was that moment. There's that, that you know we, you know you hear about the Damascus Road moment that Paul had in, in the scriptures when he got knocked off his high horse, and uh, mm -hmm. that's what happened to me. High horse. I got <laughs> I got knocked right off my real high horse, and <laughs> God, um, He saved my life in that moment, and He thrust me right into recovery. So in early recovery, what was it that helped you maintain your sobriety the most? Like if you could pinpoint one thing that you're like, man, that was the defining thing at the beginning that really helped me stay. Yeah, there's two things. Um, first thing is, is I noticed in the, in the hospital, um, well, a little backstory. I was a, I was a liar. I mean, just ingrained in me, just deceitful, like 100% of the time. And in the hospital, even once I realized who I was again, um, the, the psychiatrist was, would come in and interview me and I would um, I would lie about who I was because I, I didn't know who they wanted me to be. You know, they would come in and, and they'd be like, well, who are you? Where are you from? Because I'd thrown away my ID, my phone. I was John Doe and they were asking me who I was and I would be like, you know, I'm Michael Jordan from Chicago and they'd be like, wrong answer. And, and they would leave, leave me strapped in that hospital bed. And um, finally, at some point, I realized that I had to tell the truth. And when I finally told the truth about who I was and where I was from, they unstrapped me from that hospital bed. And I feel like, you know, in life, when I finally decided to tell the truth, physically I was unstrapped. 
And, and I think even spiritually, I was unstrapped a little bit when I finally told the truth about who I was. And um, the second thing is, is shortly after I got back to where I was living, at this time I was in Carthage, Missouri, um, I was offered, uh, was offered heroin. And um, it, was a, it was by someone that would never say anything, that wouldn't even have done it with me. Nobody would have known. And uh, I said no. And th those two moments were two big turning points, those watershed moments in my life where I decided to be honest and I, and I decided to say no. So what's the most important thing you've ever done for your recovery? Without a doubt, it is uh, it's my relationship with Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's pursuing him on a daily basis. Um, ever since that moment in that, in that airport, um, it has been on my heart to do that, and I've done that um, without fail. He changed something inside of me, and it is something that, has, that I long for. Is that is that relationship and seeking with him, and I'd say the second thing is is uh, is pursuing a relationship with my daughters again, which has been restored. Okay, so so that relationship has played a really big part. It sounds like daughters, or Jesus, 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 absolutely. That is um, that has been my everything. You know, it's um, I wanted so badly to believe in something. You know, I say pre-Atlanta before I overdosed. I wanted something so so badly to believe in it. Everything I leaned on fell, and nothing nothing could support me and uh, whether it was a job or a relationship or money or drugs or or whatever it was never supported me when I leaned on it um, and uh, Jesus over the past five years the harder I lean the stronger he holds me so is there one thing you do every day that helps you maintain your recovery yes um, my daily spiritual disciplines uh, I say all the time that before Atlanta, pre-Atlanta, the only thing I was faithful in was being unfaithful. And, uh, you know, every morning, um, no matter what morning it is, I wake up two hours before I got to be anywhere, and I spend that time pursuing a relationship with my Creator without fail. And that is, um, that is what's changed me. So that prayer life, mm -hmm. pretty big Absolutely. for you. What is it that keeps you from going back to old behaviors? Such a great question. Um, again, something that I uh, that I say a lot is the first time I checked into rehab, I checked in as as an addict wanting to get clean, and the, and the truth is is I should have been checking in as a liar needing to get honest. And it was when I finally became transparent and honest in my life when I when I owned who I really was and how I really felt, um, and and I was just transparent uh, that there's nothing to hide anymore. I don't. I don't need to be an escape artist anymore, you know, because right. back in the day, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to escape who I was because it wasn't true. I wanted to, I was an escape artist. And once I finally owned who I was and was transparent about it, there's no need for me to escape anymore. So in recovery, well, we talk about the gifts of recovery, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what are those gifts? What are those amazing, miraculous changes that have happened in your life since you stopped using? Oh, it's so good. Um, number one. Thank you. Hey, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Wow. Hey, man. I mean, they came up with good questions, they right? They did. That's incredible. Uh, number one, my relationship with my daughters. You know, uh, November 12th, 2012, I jumped on an airplane and I abandoned them. And um, I went um, years without having a relationship with them, without talking to them. And um, just by the grace of God and me following what I feel like he asked me to do and being obedient to it, 
um, I was able to rebuild a relationship with them. And now I get to see them on a regular basis. I get to be a part of their life, and it's a, it is a real thing. Very cool. So if you could travel back in time and talk to yourself the day before you used, hmm. what would you say to yourself? I know exactly what I would say to myself. I would say um, no one, no one's opinion of you matters. Uh, not your pastors, not your friends, not your parents, not your teachers, and definitely not the opinion that you have of yourself. The only opinion that matters is the one that God has of you, and that is where I needed to root my identity. All righty then. Man, you flew through those. So so give us, uh, I don't know, give us like a 10-minute testimony uh, of your life. Just kind of take us yeah, through, you know, doing it th- the right way, which what I mean by that, of course... I talk to people whenever they get ready to share their story. Mm-hmm. I always say that there's a good way and bad way to share your story. And unfortunately, a lot of people, it's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes people don't have enough positive on the recovery side. Mm-hmm. So we get caught up in glorification, war sure. stories. I mean, because obviously, I always say I wouldn't have used drugs for as long as I did if I wasn't getting something from them. There had to be a good side of it. Right. But, you know, uh, I think a lot of times if you notice there really wasn't a question about so how much did you use and what was your drug of choice and blah 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 blah. uh because most people know how to use drugs on their own Mm -hmm. right i don't need to show you how to use drugs uh they probably already know and if they don't they already are seeing the effects of it because Mm -hmm. i don't think you can live in this country Mm -hmm. probably anywhere in this world to be honest and not be touched by drug use one way or another especially drug misuse so yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and I've heard you give your uh, share your story many, many times. So I, I, it's kind of funny that I said that. Honestly, I probably should have been like, just share your testimony, <laughs> because I've never heard you sit there and go. So anyway, man, it was so it was so stinking cool. Here's what I did. Yeah. Uh, blah 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 blah. War story, war story, war yeah. story. So, so yeah, give us some cliff note version of. Yeah, my you. story. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, I definitely isn't something I glorify because it. Uh, burnt my life to ashes man um you know what i think about um when you say that is it it sparks back a specific memory for me when i was um i was living in phoenix and uh, and i had to master this lifestyle of uh of this duality for on the outside it looked like i had it all together but if you could if you could peek behind the curtain you could see that i was i was unraveling and i was i was you know using behind closed doors I was um, using in secret I was just trying to escape all the lies and everything that I was and at this time what I'm thinking about is uh, I was married and uh, and at the time my wife then was uh, six months pregnant with our first daughter and I um, I had started having an affair with uh, I was uh, working at a gym with one of the clients I was training and, uh, and I had taken also a second job as a bouncer at a, at a bar to make some extra money and I, uh, I remember the night that I was, I was there working that front door and, um, I saw this girl coming up that I was having an affair with and I saw, I saw steam coming off her head and I knew she was so mad and I didn't know why. And it was, uh, towards closing time and, um, out front of this bar, the, the cops were there because it's kind of a rough area. So when I let everybody out, they had cops there and, um, she stood behind the cops and I could see her screaming at me and I was trying to pick up on what she was saying. And finally I started to catch on. And um, I had told this girl that I was separated from my wife, that we were not together anymore. And uh, she had been um, smart enough, I guess, to to figure out my voicemail password. And she'd listened to some of my voicemails. And on one of the voicemails, she 
found out that it very much was not true, that me and my wife were still way together. And uh, she was screaming at me, and, um, and then she stopped, and she, she grabbed her phone, and um, she called my wife. And so, like, 1.30 in the morning, she calls my, you know, pregnant wife to tell her that I'm having an affair, you know, behind cops. And uh, that was, like, one of those moments when that, uh, like, that bell of, of, of your wickedness was ripped wide open, and I could see myself for who I was in that moment. And... Um, and in that moment, I wanted to change. I did. I wanted to stop doing drugs. I wanted to be the father I was getting ready to be. I wanted to be. But I didn't want to do it for the right reasons, if that makes sense. I wanted to do it because I, I wanted to stay married. Right. I wanted to do it because I wanted to be a father. And um, So not for yourself. Not for myself. And I checked into uh, rehab right after that to try to make that happen. And um, I learned very quickly that... If I was trying to do it for someone else, it just wasn't going to happen, and it didn't. I found myself sneaking out of that rehab, getting drunk. I found myself stealing money so I could buy alcohol to get drunk, and I left early, and I, and I still tried to hold it together. And I was able to do it for a few years after that, to be honest, And uh, but I never dealt with that compromise in my life. And uh, there's anything that could define my life for the first 35 years is compromise, compromise after compromise. And uh, it was um, on this trip from... Uh, from Missouri to Phoenix, and from Phoenix to Atlanta, and then reversing that in Atlanta to Missouri, where um, all that compromise came crushing down, came crumbling down, and God just rocked my world, man. And, and he changed, like say, he changed the very essence of who I was. And I came off of that hospital bed, and I had warrants in multiple states, um, and no relationship with my kids. And you, have you ever heard that saying that to um, eat an elephant? You gotta, you gotta start one, one bite at a time. time. Yeah, and that's what I, what I found myself was, was I was in Carthage, Missouri. I couldn't drive. I had warrants in multiple states. I had no idea what to do. What I did do was it's such a cliche phrase, especially in the recovery community, is I just started doing the next right thing, and I started facing those warrants, and um, I started walking through the probation and the fines and the community service and the jail, and um, and it took years, but it started with that change that happened in Atlanta. And, uh, and now I can sit here and I can talk to you today on the other side of all those warrants. I can talk to you on the other side of having a driver's license, of having my relationship back with my kids, of being in the ministry, of having a great job, you know, of being in a spot in my life where I thought I would never, ever, ever, ever be again. You know, if there's anybody that can talk about hope, it's me. I, I was hopeless, and I thought I had gone too far. And um, So you could be like a hope dealer. Say what? <laughs> I could be a hope dealer. I'll just throw that out there. I don't know. It just popped into my head. Never heard of that it's phrase. Pure genius. It is, and that is one of the that's one of the defining words of my life is hope. Because um, what truly got me to this point of true change was being hopeless. Yeah, and so that is that is me in the Cliff Notes version. Obviously, there's a lot more in depth and detail in there, but that's me in the Cliff Notes. Yeah, version. but y'all don't want that. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten to know him pretty good, and it's a uh, oh whatever. Boy, is it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so a little bit about Josh though, uh, from my side, Josh is actually, uh, what's, what's the role, what's the ne- the role that you have at the Springfield Recovery Community Center? I'm the peer engagement coordinator. Okay. So what does that mean? That means, um, that I, um, I go around and I, and I tell my story a lot and, and I, and I just bring awareness to the center. I bring awareness to recovery and awareness that hope is possible. 
So basically, you get paid to run your mouth about recovery. Yeah, I sure That's do. Cool. <laughs> Man, thanks, sir. It's an awesome job. Yeah. I'm glad we gave that to you. Amen. Uh, and and once again, is uh, one of the co-founders of the Springfield Recovery Community Center. I'm pretty glad that we have Josh on our team. Thanks. So to me, this was kind of a an introduction of Josh. Uh, I don't know. I guess I would say nationally, internationally. I don't know. We don't have a whole lot of people that listen to us outside of the country, but we're still a young podcast, so we'll see how that goes. Don't do stop. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, what I'm ho- what I, what I'm hoping to do is after I get done with this. Uh, so it's Mike's first time. I, I, Mike, good lord, Josh's. Woo! I don't even know what happened there. A lot of times I call. I mean, not even Brandon. Yeah, I know. I yeah. get confused with Magic Mike a lot. <laughs> I can. I don't know. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. So was it good? Um, top five for sure. <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah, I, I did not see it, which is surprising because Matthew McConaughey's in it, and I'm a huge Matthew McConaughey fan. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I ever saw it. Um, yeah. Uh, different strokes for different folks. Whatever floats your boat, I, I prefer water. I don't know what floats yours. So, so yeah. So, but I, what I'm thinking of doing is I'm thinking that we're going to start having some topic podcasts, and it's going to be me and Josh, which is really I scary. I love it. Um, just because I don't know. My wife always has always said that I remind her of the dog from the movie Up, like Squirrel, <laughs> and um, Josh is kind of like that too. So I think we're basically going to bounce all over the place and on occasion actually talk about whatever the topic is. Um, At times we will bring in tons of secular focus. At times we'll probably bring in tons of Christian focus. Jesus. You know, um, Josh is pretty big on Jesus. Uh, (laughs) I've been a fan for a while. Um, That's obviously where both of our recoveries uh, came from if you've heard my story now that you, now you've heard his mm. but the truth is i mean i believe and i believe josh would second this i believe there's multiple pathways to recovery yes sir uh i believe jesus is one of those just like 12 steps is one of those just sure, like probably. medication is yeah. one of those just like treatment for some people right. might be one of those yeah. you know sure. i think that there's lots of uh ways people fit into recovery like uh shorty the pimp used to say get in where you fit in <laughs> the second time we brought him up today. <laughs> and, and, and recovery is kind of like that right i mean uh-huh. you get in where you fit in it's what works for you because what works for me what works for josh may not work for you mm-hmm. but i know josh works with a lot of people in recovery uh he's also part of the well which is a church here that has redemption ministries mm-hmm. and i know on friday nights downtown at the well redemption ministries probably has what 300 yeah for sure yeah probably has 300 people that are coming in there for their service for a recovery service on friday nights and i know josh has been working on setting one of those up in aurora and i believe that they've started one at north north as well yeah, so i mean great. basically what we're seeing is there's a whole lot of people that are hope less mm. You know, they are without hope, uh, depressed, uh, beating themselves up and quite possibly getting beat up by the community. And, you know, that's where the hope dealer part comes in, you know, and that's one thing I want to stress is I don't sit here and go, oh, look at me. I'm the hope dealer. I say, oh, look at me. I'm a hope dealer. Uh, I believe anybody who's overcame something, whether that's addiction, whether that is a mental health diagnosis, uh, a cancer diagnosis, uh, codependency, uh, grief and loss. 
anybody who has been through something overcomes it and then uses their strength, experience, and hope mm -hmm. to give hope to other people as a hope dealer. 100% love that definition. You know, so so I know there's some people out there that will tell you that they're the hope dealer. Um, that's good. Bully on them. <laughs> uh, for me, it's not about me being the hope dealer. It's about creating an army of hope dealers. And, you know, that reminds me, that's what I think our next podcast is going to be about. I think that's going to be the first topic podcast that me and Josh do mm -hmm. is going to be on uh, a hope dealer movement, what it means. I know we've already done one, but it'll be interesting for me to sit here and talk to somebody else and get their perspective, too. So I'm excited about it. And you know what? We will, I don't know, we'll be back later, man. You guys are going to get to hear a lot of me and Josh. Woo! Hopefully over the next uh rest of your life so <laughs> Jesus hang on tight man okay. <laughs> thanks a lot everybody uh, I look forward to talking to you next week until then you know what keep your head up don't let anything bring you down you got any last a nugget of wisdom a nugget of hope a nugget of uh, encouragement for people that are listening I do can they go on amazon.com and get your book right now <laughs> yes they can and it's Hope Dealer it's Hope Dealer by David Stoker uh, oh. if you put in Hope Dealer and probably Better Life and Recovery It'll probably pop up. Sweet. Yes. That is a score right there. Absolutely. Awesome. So, so yeah. So, and maybe we'll talk about that next time, too. I, I don't know. I, I have trouble promoting myself. But, yes, That's I okay. have a book that just came out. And I'm excited about it. I hope it helps people. I've had a couple people leave reviews so far. And so far, it seems like people have read it and got something out of it. So, let's hope that we can keep that trend continuing. And that we can continue, once again, to... To create more hope dealers, right? Yep. Because that's what a hope dealer does, is a hope dealer shares hope with somebody so that they in turn can find their best life and then share that hope with other people. And I think we'll talk about that on our next podcast. I love it. Alrighty then. Have a great week. Peace. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. It's another episode of Sports Yak Podcast. Who types this stuff? Just run it, hit play, hear it, get it done with. I'm Jim Shorts. I'm an icon. The class of 2019 Indiana sports writer and sportscasters, Hall of Famer, Chuck Freebie, and the other butt monkey. Who cares? Hit the subscribe button. I'd hate to miss a second of this junk. Sports Yak, the podcast. Now that's good. Now turn it off.